0: All right, we're, so we're continuing on through Genesis. We'll be in chapter 13. Yes, thank you. After having taught through Adam and Eve and creation and the fall, all right, the first good news, proto-evangelion, and then Nephilim and the flood, and Noah and the table of nations and the genealogies. We've now begun this 12 or 13 chapter arc that's all about basically one man and his family, about Abram, Abraham, the father of faith. So we are continuing on with the adventures of Abraham. And we are in chapter 13 this morning. We're going to go through the whole chapter. This is a chapter that often some people just summarize. Matter of fact, I was looking at my notes from when I first taught through Genesis, and I didn't teach this chapter. I kind of skipped it and went right to fourteen, where the action starts. But we're going to teach through it this morning, and it's actually a a, a sad chapter. It's a sad chapter because, and it's kind of under the surface. If you just read the chapter, you don't, you may not really understand uh, what's taking place. But uh, it deals with the consequences. It's the beginning of the consequences of Abram's actions. Uh, the consequences in the sense of his unbelief. The ramifications, if you will. And not just in his life, because we're going to see how, you know, what his, how, that, how that affects his life. Him going down into Egypt, how it affected his life, how it affected his wife. Um, but seeing really in the life of his nephew, Lot. And as most of you know you're free to make your own choices. You have the right to do whatever it is you would like to do. Uh, As Abram did when he went down to Egypt. But what you aren't free to choose is the consequences of your actions. And how those consequences not hurt just you and, you know, your wife or your family, but they hurt those around you. As well. And in this case, how those consequences of Abram going down into Egypt hurt or is going to hurt his nephew Lot. All right. So we're going to see this unfold actually through the next six chapters or so. So let's read Genesis 13. Like I said, we're going to read the whole chapter. It says so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him, into the Negeb. And now Abraham, or Abram, was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev, as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for... message that comes from this and, and the example that we can learn from Abram's actions here in the midst of strife. I pray, Lord, that we can be more like you, that we just draw closer to you and that you speak to us this morning, that your words are spoken and your spirit move among us and draw us, Lord, closer to you. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As I told you last week, Abram was redeemed, right? He made a stupid choice. He went down into Egypt. He didn't really seek out the Lord. He was trying to protect his uh, family, and everyone that was party in his party. And he had a large group. You'll find out next chapter, as a matter of fact, that there's easily over 300 people uh, in Abram's camp. right? And so he was redeemed by the grace of God. He got out of Egypt with his life, his wife, and his belongings. right? And actually, he left Egypt with more belongings than he came in with. Right? It says in verse 2 here that Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Pharaoh gave Abram basically his payment for Sarah, who he thought was Abram's sister at the time. He gave him sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants. One of those female servants, by the way, was Hagar, which will be a problem later as we'll find out. Right? That's a different problem we'll get to. And female donkeys and camels. And so This is the problem. This is where the strife starts. They left Egypt wealthier than when they came in. The strife starts because it says the land could not support both Abram and Lot. It couldn't support both their camps. It couldn't support all their animals. It couldn't support both of them living together. The herdsmen, it says, between both camps were arguing the word for strife here in the Hebrew, uh, rieb, means uh, controversy. It means dispute. It means contention. And that, as you probably know from your own experience, right, any strife that starts on down the line eventually moves its way up to the front of the line. And so this strife wasn't probably just between the herdsmen. This strife had moved up, and now there was possibly strife beginning to, you know, this contention beginning to happen between Abram and Lot themselves because of this. Now, there's a lot of similarities between Abram going on down to Egypt with his wife Sarah and uh, the Israelites, and, you know, or Jacob, right? Or Israel going on down to Egypt at the end of Genesis when we get there. Uh, and then also similarities between... When they, you know, are when the Lord brings them out of Egypt later in the Book of Exodus, one thing, for example, Jacob and his family go down to Egypt because there's a famine, right? The same the same reason that Abram went down to Egypt. Uh, Two, when Israel is delivered out of Egypt, it says in Exodus 12 that they plundered the Egyptians, right? And they left with gold, silver, and clothing, so they left wealthier than when they came in. Uh, So they left with more belongings, just as Abram did. And then, after they come out of Egypt, what is there? There's strife. Now, there was good and bad choices that the Israelites made when they came out of Egypt, right? The good choice was a lot of the uh, riches that they received from the Egyptians, the gold and the silver and the clothing and all that stuff, a lot of that stuff that they received, they used to build the tabernacle, right? So that was a good thing that they did. With what the Lord had given them. However, the bad choice that they made with what the Lord had given them was that they melted down a whole bunch of that gold and made a golden calf and started worshiping false gods. That was the bad choice, right? That leads to one of my favorite interactions between God and Moses on the mountain when God tells Moses, "Your, Your children are acting up, right? Just like any good parent says to the other parent when their kids are acting up. Your children, right? So, so that was you know, those good and, and bad choices. So we see this contrast. We see the same contrast right here between following God's will for us and following our own desires. Right? And we see this here with Abram and Lot as well. So let's start with Abram. Let's start with Abraham um, and the choice that he makes. It would seem that the experience of it gone, having gone down into Egypt and being redeemed Right, Abram thought he could handle this. He came up with this great plan. We're going to lie to the Egyptians, and you're going to tell them you're my sister. And you know, trying to protect his life was what he was trying to do. And it didn't really work out the way he thought. But the Lord redeemed him. Right. So he. So, but he seems to have come out as probably all of us would have, humbled by the experience. And I said, like as I said last week, it was probably a quiet ride home. <laughs> a long quiet ride with Sarah next to him and not really knowing what to tell her or what to say you know? and then you know we look at it and we, on the surface we say well it all turned out well you know, he got out with his life and he got out with Sarah he got out with all this riches that he didn't have before it all turned out well but really the time that he spent in Egypt was completely a waste of time because he ends up right back where he started from. He goes right back. Right. He puts his, he, he goes right back to where he started. It tells us that right in verse 3, where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, or Ayah, depending on how you know you want to pronounce it. I always say Ai, but it's actually Ai. Right? And again, Bethel means the house of God and uh, Ai means the heap of ruins. So he, put, he come, ends up right back where he started, between the house of God and the heap of ruins. Right? And the good part, of course, is that Abram heads right to the altar that he had made that when he first came into the land of Canaan, and what does he do? He calls upon the name of the Lord. So you can see that more than likely what he's doing is asking for forgiveness. I made a real stupid choice, Right? It tells us in 1 John one nine, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he's calling out to the Lord, I'm sorry. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for bringing us back out. I was so stupid. I don't even know what to say. Right? <laughs> I hope my wife doesn't kill me. Right? I mean, he was just humbled by the experience. There's a quote by Dave Guzik, actually, that says that Abram's unbelief took him from his place of worship. It led him into sin. It caused him to lead others into sin because his whole camp came with him. It made him more confident in his ability to lie than in the protecting power of God. It even broke apart his family for a while. And finally, he was rebuked by an ungodly king, which is how the Lord works. Throughout history, we can see it in the Bible. Ungodly kings and ungodly nations have been used to rebuke God's people. Because we're, be, we're to be a light unto the nations. We're, our lives are supposed to be a testimony to the true and living God. Unfortunately, that's not always you know, the example that we set. Right? When Christians argue and fight, they lose their testimony before unbelievers. Right? It hurts the testimony of the Lord. However, Abram's response after coming back from Egypt is a good sign. He's pressing forward, as it tells us like in Philippians 3, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward it lies ahead, pressing on towards the goal and the prize right, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. As Jesus told the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation, in the letters to the churches, he said, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. This is the same thing that Abram's doing. He's remembering where he came from. He's, he can see the mistakes that he's made, and now he's calling upon the Lord. He's been humbled, and he's returning to his first love. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I screwed up, right? But we also see that he's been humbled by his response to the strife, to the contention that's going on between his camp and Lot's camp. Because the first thing he says in verse 8, Abram says is, let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Right? We're brothers, we're family. Let's not fight. Let's not fight. And then Abram tells Lot this, and this is very important. He says, "Is not the whole land before you? Right? Separate yourself from me." He says, "If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go first." What was Abraham doing? What was Abram doing at this point? He was being a peacemaker. That's what he was doing. Right? He told Lot, "You choose." You pick. Whatever you choose, I'll go the other way. Right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Right? It tells us in Psalms, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. This is what Abram was seeking out. Peace. It tells us in James 3, 14 to 18, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is seen in Abram's actions right here at the Lot. There's strife between the two camps. They're arguing and, and possibly fighting against each other. It's gone up the line to Abraham and Lot themselves, right? And Abram's, he's like, let's, let's be at peace. Let's not fight, we're family. Come on, you go out there. There's a lot of land out there. You go choose whatever it is you want. And wherever you choose, I'll go the other way. It's, there's enough room for both of us, right? There's enough room. Jesus, obviously, for us, is the ultimate peacemaker. For it tells us, right, in God's word, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus was the ultimate peacemaker, and peace comes through the blood of the cross. And because of that peace, we too should be peacemakers. It should be our ultimate goal in the middle of strife between two brothers, or between family members, or between whoever. And that's an example that Abram sets here as well. This is how it should be when it comes to disputes about worldly and material things. Because you'd be surprised how many worldly and material things, like wealth, for example, family wealth. How many families have been divided by inheritance and things like that? This is how we should be. You go first. You choose what you want. I'll take whatever's left, right? I'm fine with that, right? Philippians 2.4 tells us that we should look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Abraham is looking to the interests of Lot, not really concerned about his interests. So what's changed there? Because just in the last chapter, the whole reason Abraham went down to Egypt was because he was looking out for his own interests, right? He was like, I don't want to die. I don't want to be killed. So therefore, Sarah, you lie. He was looking out for his own interest there. But now he's he's been humbled. Well, his actions come from love. Abraham loved his nephew. When Lot's parents died, and then after Abraham's fathers died, Abraham had been the one now who was looking after Lot. And this was a step of faith for Abraham as well. Why? Well, he he seems a little wiser now that he's been humbled. And if you really haven't thought this out, Abram had the right to designate how much land Lot could have and where Lot could go. Abraham had the right to tell Lot, you can have that parcel over there, don't complain about it. He had the right to do that. Why? Because one, he was the older sibling, right? He was the uncle. Yeah? And not only that, the land had been given to him by God. And it was given to Abram. It wasn't given to Lot. Lot really had no choice, Right? But Abraham didn't seem concerned about his rights as they were right here. He just trusted God. Right? Didn't matter to him whether he went right or left because he knew no matter which way he went, God's going to provide and God would be there with him. Didn't matter. He knew. He trusted God. He wasn't worried about his future because he knew that he was in the hands of the Lord. Right? He was in the hands of the Lord. The Lord, who was, who is, and who is to come. It's important, right? The Lord, who, the one who holds all eternity in his hands, right? Because he's the Lord over eternity, right? The one who rules the past, the present, and the future, right? All history, part of his eternal plan. Our lives aren't given over to blind fate or the random meaningless or the endless cycles with no resolution. They're not because our lives are in the hands of the Lord, God is with us. God is at the beginning of all things and at the end of all things. He is right eternal. He's unlimited by time. Abraham knew this. Abraham understood this. Abraham loved the Lord. He knew that the Lord was God Almighty. And so he said, "I don't you go first, lot. You choose. You choose whatever you want. I'm okay with that, because I know whatever is left, whatever direction I have to go after you choose, it will be fine. Because God's with me. I have God. Nothing else matters. I have the Lord. So let's look at Lot's choice now. Right? Lot had been enticed by Egypt. Lot actually liked it down there. He didn't think it was a bad choice at all, as it would seem, from his decisions. Right? He definitely liked how he benefited from it. When he came out with more riches than what he went in with. Why do I say this? Because it says in verse 10, it says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. That would be Eden. Right? So going upon what he's been told and taught since he was a kid about the garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. Lot didn't lift his eyes to heaven and seek direction from God right? He lifted his eyes to the plains of Jordan. He looked at the Jordan Valley, and he was reminded of Egypt, where he had just come from, and and what he knew of the Garden of Eden, right? And he looked at that, and he was like, "Woo! this is the most beautiful spot right here. This is the choice land. This is the best. It's got the best water. It's got the best grazing for the animals. Look at the view. Holy cow, this is the best choice to take. I'm taking that right there right? The grass, they say the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, right? (laughs) But greener is not always better as it turns out. Lot's decision was based entirely on sight. It was based entirely on sight. Abraham was walking by faith, not by sight. Lot was walking entirely by sight, right? He saw and he coveted it. He was like, I want that. When we covet things like that, we're willing to do almost anything to get them. It was a good thing Abraham had humbled himself before God and was being so gracious. Because had Abraham been walking in his flesh, there would have been a bigger fight breaking out, probably. Because at this point, Lot was probably willing to lie, cheat, steal, and kill to get that property over there. They say that uh, the heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. Lot's heart wasn't led astray by his choice. His, stro- his choice is proof positive that his heart had already been led astray, had been led astray by what he saw down in Egypt. Right? His heart was in Egypt, and in a sense, his heart was in the world. He saw what the world had to give him—the worldly desires and the worldly riches—and he said, "I want that. That's what I want. Give that to me." Right? The eyes see what the heart loves. And Abraham had you know, Abraham had taken Lot out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of Lot. He, he was still there. That's where he wanted to be. So the strife between the two camps was really a struggle that started in the heart of Lot. He was at war with himself because he was at war with God. He was what we would refer to as a carnal believer, a carnal Christian. He was righteous. The Bible tells us in uh, 2 Peter, I think, that Lot was righteous. But he was struggling with the world. It was a big temptation to him. And it was more tempting to him than following God. So he was living more in the world than he was, obviously, about following God. So this strife between the two camps was really a struggle that started in the heart of Lot. He was at war within himself because he was at war with God. You see, Lot had a tent... But the one thing we don't see that Lot has is an altar. Lot never has an altar. Lot's never seeking the Lord. He's never crying out to God. He's never asking God for direction or wisdom or forgiveness. They say that the love of money is the roots of all kind of evil, right? It is through the craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That's what Lot's doing. And he's piercing himself with many pangs, as we'll find out as we continue on about Lot and his time in Sodom and how it tortured him. I mean, there's a way, as it tells us in Proverbs, that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. And guess what? It almost led to death for Lot. He almost actually died. But thank the God, thank the Lord, right? Because the Lord went in and brought him out because he was righteous. So this path to the Jordan Valley, it seemed right to Lot. It seemed the perfect choice to make. It's going to almost cost him his life. It, here we see him looking towards Sodom. Later on in the chapter, he moves his tent closer to Sodom, and eventually, as we know, he moves in to the town of Sodom. Right? He felt that was a right choice to make. He felt that was a great place to live. He thought living there was going to give him a great life. But here's the thing, it doesn't matter what we think. It really doesn't matter what we think. Regardless of how Lot felt concerning Sodom, God had a view of Sodom as well. And God says, the men of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against him. That was God's view of Sodom. We We need to look at things with the eyes of God and see things and measure them up against God's word before we make choices like that. But Lot wasn't doing that. He was just enticed by the world and ran right for it. I'm going to put my tent towards Sodom. I'm going to eventually live in Sodom. It tells us in James 4, verses 1 through 4. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? This is what was going on with Lot. You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet. You cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Lot was righteous. Like I said, we already know that because of what it said in Second Peter, but Lot was now at odds with Abram and there was this strife. And it was because Abraham, guess what, was a friend of God. And Lot was a friend of the world. And the two could not stay together. They had to separate. And that's what caused the separation. right? Because we are to be in the world and not of the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. We are told that in God's Word. Right? We're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We're set apart unto the Lord. This is how our lives are supposed to be. We're called out of the darkness and into His marvelous light. Right, and tells us in first Peter that as obedient children we are not to be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you should also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. We are to be holy, we're to be set apart, we're to be separated from the world. And that's where Abram was. But that's not where Lot was. Right. Right. It tells us also in James 4 that we're to submit ourselves to God and resist the devil, and he will flee for you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Abraham was drawing near to God. Right. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you, as it says later on in that, those same verses. Abraham had humbled himself before the God, and the Lord was drawing you know, drawing close to Abram. Abram was drawing close to the Lord because of Abram's humility, because of his love for the Lord, his peacemaking, you could say. The Lord speaks to him now after Lot leaves. The Lord speaks to Abraham and affirms his promise with Abraham and encourages him all the more. Right? Look what he tells Abraham after Lot separates and, and Lot leaves. The Lord says verse 14. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him, "Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever." Abraham was probably wondering and we can read into it all we want, but you know, there was there was he was probably wondering, did I, did I do the right thing? Because Lot took all the good land, right? I mean, did I make the right choice? Was that the right decision? Maybe I should ask him for that little green section right there. But soon as they separated, as soon as the man of God, the friend of God, Abraham, separated from the, man, the worldly, carnal man, Lot, soon as the two separated, God appeared to Abraham. God speaks to Abraham, and he says, basically, if we want to summarize it, kind of paraphrase it, he says, guess what, Abraham? You made the right choice. I'm, I'm glad for what you did. You made the right choice. Thank you for your humble heart. Thank you for your love towards me. God tells him, lift up your eyes and look, Abraham. Which means Abraham maybe was a little downcast, possibly. Right? God says, Abraham, don't be that way. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and look. Look around. Look every direction, Abraham. Look north, south, east, west, as far as you can see. Look at it. That's also the direction that Lot went, by the way. Right? Look every direction. All that land? All that land is yours. Sure, you told Lot he could go over there, and you said you're going to go a different direction. does not matter, because guess what? That is your land. And it's going to be your descendant's lands. It's going to be your family's land forever, eternally. It still is their land today, even though they don't inhabit all of it. They will. That's all your land. Look, Lift up your eyes and look at it, Abraham. If we walk like this all the time, how can we see what the Lord's trying to show us? God says, Abraham, look up. Look up. Don't be downcast. Look up. Look at all that stuff surrounding you. I have given this to you. It's yours and your family's forever. Your family's going to be so great that if you could count all the sand on the seashore, then you can count your family. But basically what he's saying is your family's going to be so great you can't even count them all. Because who can count all the sand? It's not going to happen. Right? But then he also tells them, arise and walk. Don't just sit there now. Now that I've told you this is all your land, don't just sit there. Get up. Walk it. Travel around it. Claim it. It's your inheritance. Because Jesus, because in Jesus we have been blessed. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's what it tells us in Ephesians. And it tells us in Philippians 4 that God will supply every need of ours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Which is telling us we have everything we need. We have everything we need in Christ. But what do we have to do? What do we need to see that? We got to look up. We got to look up and we have to rise and walk in faith. Because if we just sit there downcast, thinking, well, that was great and everything, and glad it didn't turn into more of strife and problems, but I'm still kind of depressed about it. Wish I could have that or whatever, you know, whatever runs through our mind. In those moments, it's not really claiming the riches that God has for us, the blessings that God has for us. That's not really walking in the promises of God. He says, get up and walk. See what you have. Look up at what I've given you and get up and walk in it. Take those steps of faith and get out there and enjoy the blessings that I have for you. Come on. You got everything you need in Christ Jesus. Why are you sitting on the couch wishing you had more? You're just looking at the world. You're just looking at your neighbor. Well, he's got two and a half sports cars. I want, I want half a sports car. And I want those things. I want that house. I want... And we start looking at the worldly things. But we have everything that we need in Jesus. Abraham had all he needed in the Lord as well. And that's what God's affirming and reaffirming with him, his promises. Abraham, okay, you gave away all that land a lot. It doesn't matter because you have everything you need in me. You made the better choice. You're following me. You're humbled yourself before me. You've made the better choice. Lot didn't make a really good choice, Abraham. You're going to find that out soon. Thank you for taking care of him. You're going to have to continue to do so. Get the army ready. You're going to have to go rescue him here really soon. Right? Abraham had everything he needed in the Lord. Lot chose himself and took a piece of land, but Abraham was given everything he needed by the Lord. He didn't have to choose God just gave it to him. Right? So Abraham responded exactly how he should in this situation. He rose up, and he walked in, and he walked around, right? and he built an altar again, right? We said Abraham is a man that's identified by tents and altars. He built an altar again, and he thanked the Lord. Because Abraham had a spiritual wealth that was greater than all the riches of the world. It didn't matter about all his livestock and all his gold and all the silver and you know, all the servants and people that he had. It didn't matter everything that Lot had. None of it mattered because he had God. And That's what Abraham is understanding now. That's how Abraham's faith is growing. Abraham, you made the right choice. Thank you. A couple of things that you can take from this, because I think it's a good lesson, because it's, it's really just the beginning of the problems, right, that are about to happen. Abraham made a bad choice. He went down to Egypt. The repercussions of that are still going to play out, but, but Abraham's going to respond to them differently now than he would have earlier. He's still going to stumble. He's still going to make mistakes, but God's there with him. Abraham doesn't lose sight of that, Right? So for you, one of the things that you can take from this is a real simple thing, right? Never abandon your altar. Never abandon your altar. Right? No matter the circumstance, because we abandon our altars, quote unquote, when time gets hard. Right? We do. We lose sight of the Lord when when it gets difficult. We do we do exactly what Abraham did. I need to run over here, find safety. Running down to Egypt is like running to the world for safety. There's no safety in the world. Abraham never didn't find any safety in Egypt. But the Lord provided anyway. The Lord redeemed him anyway. Right? But don't, ama- don't abandon your altar, no matter the circumstances. Right? Stay in fellowship with the Lord. Call upon the Lord. Seek the Lord out. He will guide you and he will lead you right where he wants you. When we abandon the altar, we lose sight of the Lord. We get lost in the worries of the world. And there's a lot of things to be worried about. I mean, it's just so thick out there with worry. I mean, you probably know this. But when we get lost in the worries of the world, many times what it yields is disastrous results. Right? When we fail to put our faith in... Uh, when we, f- when, uh, we fail, right, when we put our faith in man's wisdom. That's what happens. Right? So what do we have to do then? We, well, we need to put our faith in God's Word. My ears just popped and now I hear really well. Wow. <laughs> Your heart is going to be satisfied when you walk in fellowship with the Lord. Right? If you were raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Why are you looking around here? Why are you looking out the plains of Jordan? Why are you looking over here? Look up there. That's where you need to be keeping your eyes. Seek the things above where Christ is, not the things of the earth. Be like Abraham. Don't be like Lot. Because Lot has just made himself a bed of trouble. Right? When God is first in your life, when you put the needs of others above your own, which is a difficult thing to do, especially today. Not that it was ever easy. But, you know... When gas prices are what they are, when you go to the grocery store, and you know, like us, we're a family of five with three kids, and we go to Costco, that used to be a $300 trip, now it's a $600 trip, and you're like, whoa, right? There's a lot of things to to worry about. There's a lot of things like that. It's hard sometimes to put the needs of others above yourself when you're trying to, when it's hard to even meet your own needs. But when you put the needs of others above your own, it's going to make it, it makes no difference to you then who's first, who's last, who gets the most, who gets the least, you know, all those things that the world uses to gauge and juggle and do things with, right? It makes no difference to you. It doesn't matter if they got the better deal. It doesn't matter if they got the better view. It doesn't matter if they got the bigger house. It doesn't matter if they have the bigger TV. None of those things are going to matter to you anymore. Because you aren't... You aren't worried about those things because you understand that no matter what, God's with you. You've made the better choice, right? You're seeking out the Lord. You've made the better choice. Jesus tells us anyway, he says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. That's where God wants you. (laughs) He wants you to be last of all and serving all. That's the better choice, he said. Humble yourself. Be a servant of all, right? Live sacrificially. Put the needs of others before your own. And the other thing we can take from this is real simple as we just see right here, which is let there be no strife among you, right? Be peacemakers, be peacemakers. Are we good at being peacemakers? No, no, we aren't very good at being peacemakers because generally we have opinions about things and we usually want to say our opinion, improve our point, And that's great and everything. There's a time for certain things like that. But for the most part, specifically between other believers and such like that, we're to be peacemakers. Especially between you and an unbeliever, you're to be a peacemaker. You need to show the peace of God to them. They're not at peace. You bring peace. Be a peacemaker. Let there be no strife among you. Don't go purposefully starting arguments and fights, and quarrels, right? I mean, strife is, is deeper than arguments. It's broader than disagreements. We see it in the news every day, right? Strife is always accompanied by pride and usually an unteachable spirit, if you know what I mean, uh, in, in one or both parties sometimes, right? The uh, Bible tells us that it's to your honor to avoid strife, Matter of fact, if you want to know what the Bible says about strife and God's uh, opinion of it, all you have to do is go to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. And it says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, And one who sows discord among brothers. That's the same word for strife. That's used here in Genesis. Discord. The Lord doesn't like strife. He doesn't like it at all. And he doesn't want you to be causing it. So let there be no strife among you. Don't be contentious. Don't cause fights. Because strife is the opposite of love. It's the opposite of love. And we are to love. We are to love others as Christ loved us. We are to be an example of love. You can't do that when you're causing strife. Right? But often that comes from our circumstances and everything else that's going on. So the Lord says, hey, don't worry about your circumstances. Don't worry about them. Abraham didn't worry about his circumstances. He didn't worry about that because he had faith. And so he was a peacemaker. And it tells us in 1 John 5, 4, it says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So we're overcomers by our faith. So be peacemakers, please. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your word, and I pray, Lord, that you just apply this to us, that you just work this out in our lives. I pray, Lord, that we can be just what it says here, that we can be peacemakers, that we can show people the love and the peace and the grace and the mercy of God through our lives, that we can be a testimony to the power and the freedom that comes through Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we can do that, that we can continue to do that, especially in the times that we live in now where strife is right now sold on every corner. It's on everything we see in the news. It's just so common. Everyone is just at each other's throats. Where are we to be in this mess? Where are we to be as a light in the darkness? We we are to be peacemakers. So I pray, Lord, that we can continue to do that, that we can continue to love others, But for us to do that, Lord, we just need to continue to keep our eyes on you and not wander away from our altar, but continue to seek you out, Lord. And understand that no matter which way we go, you're with us. So we thank you for that. We thank you for your promises and the hope that comes with them. We thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.